Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hello everybody and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University in London, Ontario. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and today on our second show of 2017, I'm joined by co-host Andrew Hanna. How are you, Andrew? Good. How are you doing, Alex? Pretty good. And since I haven't seen you this year yet, technically, how was your break and, and how are you doing? Good, man. I can't complain. Everything's uh, been good. I don't know. Everybody's been saying 2016 was an awful year, but I mean, I personally didn't find it too bad. So I hopefully 2017 is even better than 2016. I know we're going into a, a rough start with Trump coming in, but you know, we got to look on the positive side of things, I guess. Only the bright side. Only I- the bright side. I'm definitely looking forward to a, a very positive and awesome 2017, and I think we can start off on the right foot with this first interview, for ourselves anyway, of 2017. Um, and our guest today is Ashley Makala, um, a third-year PhD student in medical biophysics. Ashley, how are you? I'm good, thanks. All right. So third-year PhD, um, so you started as a master's student and you've transferred over, uh, similar to me and, and a lot of other uh, lucky folks out there at Western. Um, so I guess let's track back three years for a second. You, you know, you were finishing your undergrad, um, and you were considering graduate school or, you know, roving out into the world. What drew you to grad school? So actually after undergrad, I worked for a bit. So I worked at a hospital in radiology. Uh, so I would see patients going through the steps of diagnose, uh, diagnosing cancer, their treatment, Um, and just surveillance afterwards. So I kind of started thinking, you know, what more can I do? And uh, it kind of naturally went into this program uh, working on an imaging project. Okay. That's actually amazing. So you're you're probably a really passionate researcher then. So so what is your, your, I guess, more specific research topic? You've mentioned cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, What are you looking at? Right, so we're in a cell tracking lab, and my project is to examine uh, breast cancer tumors. And how we do that is we use, uh, it's called MRI cell tracking. What does that mean? (laughs) No, that's a perfectly legitimate question. Um, So what we do is we label cells. So whether or not we label them outside of um, like a mouse in a Petri dish or how I do it is I inject a cell labeling agent intravenously into a mouse and uh, we're looking at these macrophages and these macrophages take up the agent and then we can see them with MRI techniques. So without um, asking the question too many times, do you mind uh, explaining further what a macrophage is? Yeah, of course. So everyone has them. Um, And lots of the time, people think of them as the cell that kind of goes, if there's an injury, they go in and they clean it up. So they clean up the debris. Um, But however, these macrophages are very plastic. So that means they're able to transform into different types. Um, And one of these types is this tumor-associated macrophage. And these are present within tumors. And they can help the tumor grow, progress. They can help the tumor cells escape and metastasize. So generally what we see when we see these tumor-associated macrophages um, are that there's a more aggressive uh, tumor. So you're, so we're looking at these, these particular types of cells, these tumor-associated macrophages um, that are prevalent in cancer. 
Um, is there any type of cancer in particular that they're associated with or that you're looking at? Uh, so I'm looking at breast cancer, um, but they are associated with most. Uh, however, there are uh, a couple of cancers where the presence of them is actually the opposite effect. So you see that they're um, less aggressive with more of these tumor-associated macrophages. So given that cancer is kind of this really, um, I, I don't want to say confusing, but I guess confusing and complex bio biological process, um, narrowing things down to, to your focus, specifically breast cancer, um, just on, on a grand scale here, kind of how, how common is it um, and, and what are the outcomes like for a person who's been diagnosed with breast cancer? Mm -hmm. So uh, breast cancer is very common, and we can all attest to that. We see you know, family members, uh, friends that have breast cancer, and you always hear about it. Uh, and, of course, it depends on the, the type of breast cancer they have and how early it's caught, um, if it's spread to other parts of the body, so if it's metastasized. So that all kind of... Uh, is like contributes to their prognostic outcome so that means whether or not they have um longer to live kind of yeah are we seeing treatment options now um being in 2017 especially are we seeing uh great advancements in treatments uh, success rates um among patients with breast cancer is that going up with with technology and research you feel yeah of course so we do see that the success rates are going up and that is mainly because of an earlier uh, diagnosis. And of course, there's always advancements in treatments as well, and that's great. Um, but what we want to kind of do is be able to diagnose them earlier, be able to tell whether or not this is going to be an aggressive cancer, if it's going to have to have a more aggressive treatment or a more tailored therapy. So would you feel that your research is more towards prevention or treatment after the fact? Yeah, um, well, hopefully... You know, hopefully it will contribute to both of those, but right now it's more of a diagnostic tool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's pull it back now to those tumor-associated macrophages. So mm. sort of under, under what we'll call normal physiological circumstances, and we'll separate that from cancer. Mm -hmm. um, normally, these macrophages, as you mentioned, are, are immune cells that kind of you know, patrol the body, they're, they're roving around your different tissues, and they're identifying, you know, bad things that are happening, and they're eating them up and clearing that from your body. Mm -hmm. um, but now in, in cancer, in, you mentioned many types of cancer, but let's, let's keep it to breast cancer specifically, something's gone awry, and, and you're saying it can potentially help to make it worse. So mm -hmm. what's kind of happening there? Right, so once these tumor cells um, have gone to their location where they want to grow, certain signals that they send out attract these macrophages. And then now once these macrophages are within this tumor microenvironment, they start to change. Uh, so they're sending out signals, they're making um, new blood vessels form, uh, they're allowing uh, breakdown of this basement membrane, so kind of the area around, and then these tumor cells can escape. Um, and then they just kind of give them what they need to grow further and grow faster and just be more aggressive. So they're, they're helping to, like, neutrify the tumor. Yeah, yeah, in one sense, yeah. Um, are they helping in any way to, to 
transport the tumor so to let it metastasize into other tissue types? Yeah, How? definitely. So when we do see these tumor-associated macrophages within tumors, uh, generally what we do see is that they're more likely to spread to other areas in the body. Okay. So, you know, we've got our, our bad guy player here. It's these tumor-associated macrophages. And as we've mentioned, they, they seem to be associated with more aggressive tumors that are able to, to metastasize better. Um, so your project is really cool, and, and you're actually looking at these in, in live organisms. Mm-hmm. How? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and that's kind of the whole concept of this MRI cell tracking is that we can actually see these cells within a mouse or, you know, you can potentially see them within any living organism. Um, so what I do is we take this agent and it's fluorine 19. So it's not to be confused with a pet agent. Um, so it's many, many small uh, droplets and we inject it intravenously. And once it's going throughout the body, these macrophages take it up. And once they kind of go around within the tumor or within to any metastatic sites, we use specialized MRI techniques to be able to visualize these as a positive signal. Okay. So just, just to clarify anything for, for somebody who might be listening who mm-hmm. may not be familiar with these different imaging techniques. Mm-hmm. So we're saying MRI and PET. What do those two things mean, and how are they different, just for the listener? Yeah, so MRI uses um, like a magnetic field, and generally what we use MRI for is for anatomical images. So it looks at hydrogen atoms within the body, um, and whereas PET uses a radioactive tracer, and it looks at it that way. So they are definitely two different modalities, um, but with our MRI cell tracking, we do that anatomical image, like I mentioned, and then we do another image where we tune it to the fluorine 19 atoms specifically. So it's really cool. You can look at specific atoms and how they're reacting to being put in a, mm-hmm. as far as I understand it, like a giant magnet. Yeah. Which is so awesome. All right. So you, you, you put in your, your 19 fluorine, um, and that doesn't refer to the number of fluorines. They're not putting in 19 fluorines. It's a specific Correct. type of fluorine. Um, so you, you inject that in, and the macrophages specifically absorb that? Like, why them? Yeah, so, well, they, these macrophages see this agent as something foreign, so they're gonna, they just automatically take them up, um, and no other cells would uh, take up enough for us to detect it, if they even do. Um, but yeah, so the macrophages uh, either take it up at the tumor site or within the blood and then travel to the tumor site. Your research focuses on uh, rats, right? Mice. Or mice, sorry. Yep. Um, do, you, do you see it in the future um, being able to uh, progress to humans, or are we going to just use this to learn about um, the TAM? Right. So right now we're learning a lot more about the tumor microenvironment and how these tumor-associated macrophages... Um, act and their density and their distribution within tumors. Uh, but obviously, definitely, I would love to see it go towards um, clinical use as well. Uh, a lot of what we're doing is developing this technology as well, and it can be used for, uh, for example, uh, stem cell tracking. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do is get this agent approved by Health Canada so we can move forward with that as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do the rats... Um... 
or sorry, do the mice, sorry, my apologies. <laughs> do the mice, um, how do they get cancer for those who don't know? Or, totally fair. Yeah. Um, so you can either get mice that automa- uh, just spontaneously generate cancer, but what we do is we have cancer cell lines and they just hang out in liquid nitrogen until we want them and then we start growing them and then we inject them. So what I do is I inject them into the mouse mammary fat pads. So it really mimics a late stage human breast cancer. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. And, that, and can you um, like determine, let's say, what stage of cancer that uh, the mice would be in accordingly? Yeah. So one of the things I'm looking at is there's three different cell lines and one's very, very, very aggressive. It metastasizes easily. Um, and then there's one that's mildly metastatic and then one that's not metastatic at all. So these are all cell lines that you choose and you can pick them out Um, but then you can also inject it and then wait you know a few days to mimic like a really early cancer or you can you know let them grow quite a bit so you can get lots of metastases so you can look at those as well okay wow 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 so there's a lot of factors that you can control as well yeah Mm -hmm. and now so when we're you now for treatment let's say or diagnostic uh, especially um, what are the more favorable outcomes? So we always know, obviously, with breast cancer, it's early detection. Mm-hmm. But how do we see that it responds with, um, with um, like, the imaging? Um, so I think, if I understood your question, uh, what we would like to see is, just say we don't know if a, if a tumor or a cancer is aggressive, and we give them this agent and we see there's a lot of these macrophages. Um, there are some cancer treatments which can actually just kill the macrophages so if we do see a lot then maybe they'll be uh better off having that treatment rather than something else wow so we can kind of tailor therapies towards what kind of cancer they have or what kind of tumor they have okay wow 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 that's a, it's incredible just hearing that kind of like progression in such a yeah. such a devastating field to be honest mm-hmm. with you that's that's amazing mm-hmm. so what's the the biggest barrier that you have to overcome in your research like uh, is there anything technical that's really difficult for you Mm -hmm. um you know in in terms of getting your research done yeah so as i mentioned this technique is fairly new so we're still developing it and one of the things with fluorine mri is that it has a very low sensitivity so we do need a lot of cells to be able to detect any positive signal um, but we are working on that. We're seeing that we are able to, you know, detect less and less cells. Um, also, we're working at 9.4 Tesla. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's a very high magnetic field. So what we usually see in hospitals is 1.5 or 3 Tesla. And then 9.4 is just a very strong magnetic, magnetic field. Um, and the one that we have at Robarts is a small animal scanner. So obviously, we wouldn't be able to image patients with that. Um, but we are moving more towards three Tesla. We've done a few, um, just uh, some a couple studies, and we are able to detect signals. So moving forward with that would be one of the biggest barriers right now, but I think it's something that we can definitely work on. So your research is the first time I've actually heard of using any kind of, of live cell tracking um, with MRI. Are there other trackers that you can use for different cell types? Um, and, and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So a big one that we use a lot in our lab is iron. So they're iron nanoparticles. Uh, so 
when these cells have this iron with them, um, within them, they show up as these dark signal voids. So they show up as black on those anatomical images I talked about earlier. So there's no need to do those two scans. And really, you don't really need any um, specialized MRI for that. Uh, but of course, it does have a downfall. It's not what we would like to do is use this tool um, to quantify these tumor-associated macrophages. And uh, with iron, we're unable to do that. Okay. Um, and and what, what does iron kind of identify then? What's, what's that one looking at? Um, so it would be potentially more just location. So it would... If you think about, um, let's just say a tumor is bright without iron in it, and then we inject that iron, all these macrophages take it up, and now they're within the tumor, and now the tumor would be black, or black regions anyway. So, um, but of course, like I said, you know, you can use it for many other applications, like stem cell tracking, and uh, yeah, so. Does your research, um, uh, is it limited to just breast cancer, or can we use this to find any form of of cancer development or tumor development? Mm -hmm. uh, well, we would definitely love to use it in other tumor types. Um, we would have to go back into literature and see if, you know, if these specific tumor types have a correlation with this tumor-associated macrophage content. Um, and I, it would be hard to say now whether or not they would have a different, you know, biomarker to them. So mm -hmm. biomarker meaning... Uh, like its ability to like you would use it and have a number where you could say yes this is going to be a very aggressive tumor so I, I feel like every tumor type would be different but if I think it would have applications in other tumor types so let, let's say like in the future it would be like a, another um, biomarker that you would be looking for for a different type of tumor yeah okay like different thresholds maybe or okay. yeah I think they would all have to be looked at individually but I think they would they would be able to use it wow so the whole idea of, of 19 fluorine is still blowing my mind right now. Um, and, and I'm just curious, um, is, is it hard to get, like, let's say a clinic in 10 years from now, once it's kind of been validated and, you know, everyone's ready to do it, uh, is it hard to get? Um, is there any danger to, I guess you would have to inject it into a patient and then there'd be a period of time um, that, they'd have to, that they would have it in their body? Um, and how much of it, relative to like a mouse, would mm. you have to be injecting to make this a feasible um, tracking system in a, in a person? Mm -hmm. No, great question. Uh, so you can make this in your lab. Um, however, we get it from a company where it's already FDA approved. And there have been a few clinical studies as well. So we know that it... Um, it's okay in humans, and uh, I'm not quite sure the amount that would be injected, but of course it would obviously be more than a mouse. Um, but yeah, we know that it's possible, so that's a good start. <laughs> Are there any uh, foreseeable limitations when, when you're re or if your research were to make it to clinical trials that you know of? Um, well, I, th I think it would be the sensitivity issue, and especially because, you know, humans are a lot bigger as well and uh and resolution with mri so that's what you can like the smallest object you can see in the human body 
um, because obviously we'd want to be able to detect these tumors when they're quite small. So what, how small is small? Mm -hmm. And yeah, but it'll all be, you know, trial and error, I think at, at that point. All right. So this kind of, we, we only have about five or so minutes left. Um, so, so kind of thinking again, even bigger picture, um, if we can get this, you know, useful clinically, um, what would that mean potentially for, for the management of, uh, breast cancer or even other types of cancer? Do you think that this could become, uh, you know, a, a basic staple at each follow-up visit for, for a patient or, um, a, a increased, uh, specificity or, or prognostic mm-hmm. indicator, uh, for cancer management? Yeah, so if we think about maybe when someone's first uh, diagnosed, so they've, they know that there's a tumor there, uh, generally what happens is they go through an invasive procedure. So they'll have a biopsy and um, they might have to do that numerous times. Whereas here, if you inject this and you can determine, you can look at the primary tumor site, so that's where it first started, so let's just say in the breast. Um, so we'll be able to... Uh, know a little bit more about the primary tumor. So we'll be able to use this biomarker to determine whether or not this tumor is going to be aggressive. And then we can tailor therapies towards that. Um, And additionally, we can maybe see the metastatic sites as well, um, which of course they can see with conventional MRI or CT. Um, But with this, maybe you could understand more about how these metastatic sites are going to act or what they're going to uh, what kind of treatment they'll um, like be best? Uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, uh, I just want to jump in, and I have a yeah. quick question yeah. about this. Um, <clears throat> so, without giving too much away about your own research and everything, how of like what success rate do you have of being able to detect these phages when uh, you do inject with fluorine nineteen? Yeah. Um, so we we det- we detect them every time. So, wow, 100%. Yeah. That's, that's wow. quite effective. Yeah, wow. so, um, yeah, no, it's great. And I think with all the development of this technology, that really helped. Um, but we do expect to see them as well. Um, but it's great that our technique's working. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Thanks. So getting into the idea of, of metastasis, um, when, when a cancer metastasizes, uh, I'm no cancer biologist, so all right, we're getting a signal for three more minutes, so this <laughs> may be my last big question. Um, <laughs> when, when a cancer metastasizes, it is my understanding that it, it maintains um, some similarities once it's in its new tissue to its tissue of origin. Um, will, will your cell tracking be able to identify the metastasized cancer with the same success rate? Um, in all likelihood then? Yeah, um, I believe it will because these macrophages are associated with metastases as well. Um, But again, I think our limitation right now is that these metastases are quite small and we just might not be able to pick them up at this point. But, you know, it's going to be constant development and we're hoping to, you know, get past that at some point. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. All right, so quickly, just, you know, very last question. Moving away from the idea of, of research, as a grad student, um, 
one of our mandates on, on GradCast is kind of like, you know, tell the world what it's like to be a grad student. What kind of stuff do you like to do outside of the lab? Do, you know, do you have a social life? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> are you involved with other extracurricular activities? What? She's a grad student. Of course, she doesn't have a social yeah. life. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's contradicting them as well. Silly question. Um, <laughs> you know what? No, we're, we're pretty lucky. In our lab, it's... Uh, like I love being there and everyone gets along really well so we are very social within our lab as well mm-hmm. and even throughout Robarts you know that too Alex that you know everyone you know you find time right um but yeah I find time to still like go travel and I have a dog so him and I get out and do stuff um but yeah I still have a life believe it or not yeah <laughs> that's good to hear that's very encouraging yeah. for the majority of grad yeah, students totally. listening <laughs> okay well, thank you very much. Ashley, is there anywhere online that people who are interested in your research might be able to, to reach you? Do you have a web page or a blog or anything like that? Or um, No, I do not. Um, but however, I just found out the other day that my, well, my first paper on my own research is being published. So Congratulations. Thank you. So it will be out in the next few weeks. So yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, thank you, Ashley, very much for coming on to GradCast. Um, everyone who's listening, thank you for listening. Uh, we air live at 6 p.m. every Tuesday on CHRW. That's 94.9 here in London. Uh, you can also check out our podcast on gradcastradio.ca or gradcastradio.com because we have both web pages um, or through your general podcast provider. Um, and if you're interested in coming on the show, you can reach us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, guys. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through GradCast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.